Psalm 133. If you would stand as we read God's word together. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. All right. Well, good morning, Karsh Church. It's so good to see you this morning. Imagine this with me. You're in the car on a long road trip, headed somewhere far away, and it's going to be pretty awesome. This, uh, imagine the trip that you had planned for last year, but because of COVID, you had to push it back. That's the trip you're about to embark on. And you're excited. You get on the highway, you and your family, but then all of a sudden you hear it in the back seat. Are we there yet? No, you answer. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we insane yet? Maybe. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. Pretty soon you hear, hey, quit it. His hand's on my side. She's making faces. And then, oof, ah, oof, ow. Uh, It's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm sure some chorus moms and dads who are out of town or visiting relatives this weekend have already gotten to experience that on Friday evening. Um, But whether you've got siblings, you know, maybe you're the person in the back seat. Uh, I know I was that person. Or maybe you've driven a old church van full of teenagers to summer camp and you've experienced that before. Only times a thousand. Um, One of my favorite pastoral authors, the late Eugene Peterson, he describes the analogy of a dinner table. He says, if there's only one pork chop on the plate and three of us who want it, I will look at my brother and sister not as delightful dinner companions, but as difficult rivals. Much of the literature of the world, including much of the Bible, documents this. Living together as brothers and sisters means, in actual practice, endless squabbles, numerous quarrels, and angry arguments. Both scenarios are pretty clear. Brothers and sisters not dwelling together in unity. And the context of Psalm 133 is not a whole lot different from the road trip illustration, though it does have a happy ending. Psalm 133 comes at the end of a group of 15 psalms called Psalms of Ascent. If you're looking in your Bible and it has headings, it might say that at the beginning of your psalm. Traditionally, these psalms uh, were sung by Israelite pilgrims as they traveled from all over the kingdom to Jerusalem for feasts like Passover. They would go up to the top of Mount Zion, where the city of Jerusalem is, and then up the steps into the temple. Together, these songs even tell their own story. If you look at Psalm 120, the first Psalm of Ascent, you see the starting point of the journey. Uh, it's the, the lands of Mesek and Kedar. And all we really know about these places is that they are filled with deceit and violence and war. But as you read through the Psalms of Ascent, as you travel, you end up 
in the temple, Psalm 134, people lifting up their hands and praising the name of God. And it's here in Psalm 133, the second to last psalm of this road trip playlist, where we see something good and pleasant that precedes God's praise by God's people. Brothers and sisters living together in unity, in harmony. It's a beautiful image, right? Whether it's kids in the back seat, a caravan of Israelite pilgrims, or fellow Christians, fellow church members today. So this short song, it only has three verses, and um, I think it only has one simple point. And I don't think I can state it any better than King David does in verse one. It is good when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And true unity is a gift from God by which we praise him and then show the world who he is. So biblical unity, that's the point this morning. Today, as much as ever, we need to have an idea of what biblical unity is. So first, we're going to examine that. What is biblical unity and what is unbiblical unity? We'll compare and contrast. Then we'll unpack the two images that King David gives us in this passage. And finally, we'll see how this idea of unity drives us to Jesus and then out into the world he's placed us in. So let's start in verse one with this whole concept of unity. What is it? What isn't it? And I've got three observations. Uh, Flip your Bibles or take a look up at the screen. at Philippians 2. Philippians is a letter that Paul writes to a church that is struggling, that is battling with itself. They're in the midst of infighting and division, the very opposite of unity. And he jumps into the conflict with encouragements towards unity and also the example of Jesus. This is what he says in chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is imploring this church to operate with an agreeable, cooperative spirit with all of them striving towards the same mission and the same goal. So unity is oneness. But then secondly, unity is not uniformity. Or to put it another way, unity should encompass diversity. If you feel like a natural tension between those two observations, I, you know, that's all right. I think you should. Um, unity is oneness, but it is not uniformity. Think of these examples that we see throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the analogy of a body to discuss the diverse giftings that the Spirit gives us. Some of us might be eyes or hands or tongues or teachers, um, but on our own, each of us is useless. Our spiritual gifts only exist to serve one another. Uh, But when we're unified around Jesus as one body, we're able to serve one another and reach our city with the gospel. In John's revelation, in chapter seven, he sees God's people revealed as a innumerable crowd filled with people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, and people group. 
God's people have been designed to be an ethnically diverse family. And if you can believe it, even this, we see diversity in regards to some of the political backgrounds of Jesus' disciples. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. But we've got Matthew, a tax collector. He thinks that compromising with the empire is the best way for us all to get along, not to mention getting his all along the way. And sharing the table with him, we have Simon, who's a zealot. He thinks that all things empire are evil, and he's willing to kill as many Roman agents as he can until they finally bring him down. And Jesus calls both of them to follow him. Now, I know that's a lot right there, those three kind of examples, but I really want you to see that Scripture shows us that even though brothers and sisters are one, they're not always going to be identical. A kind of monolithic unity actually shortchanges the diversity that the Creator has woven into His creation. Unity does not equal uniformity. And then thirdly, unity requires repentance and belief as we pursue a new shared allegiance. If you've consumed any news or social media over the last five or six years, probably, you already know that we're living in an extremely polarized, divided, disunified culture. It's become somewhat of a refrain that, you know, we need unity. You know, where can we find unity? If only someone could bring us unity, then some of our social ills would be able to be solved. But can I be a downer for a second? Unity is only as strong as the thing we're unified around. There's a kind of unity over here that says, we're united around our oneness. Be from this one kind of place. Speak this one kind of language. Have this one kind of look. But, my friends, that's a very shallow kind of unity. And then we have a unity over here that sometimes says we're unified around our diversity. Anything goes, no matter your color, your creed, your language, etc. But similarly, this is a weak kind of unity. And I don't think I have to do too much convincing because you just have to look at our world see that even though we're pushing these kinds of unity, we're less unified than ever. They're not going to cut it. Those central foundations aren't strong enough to support the unity that we need. So what's, what do we do? Where do we go? This is where we respond with repentance and faith as we pursue a new shared allegiance. This is where we walk that tension between oneness and diversity. It's where Jesus calls us. It's where he calls his disciples. The heart of his message in the Gospels is repent and believe because the kingdom of God is here. Or if I can paraphrase just a little bit, there's a new king and a new kingdom. Turn from what you were pursuing and follow me. Pledge your allegiance to me. 
Uh, Pastor Jeff told me once that repentance and faith is a changed mind that manifests as a changed life. Think back to tax collectors and zealots for a minute. When Jesus calls a crooked, compromising tax collector, Zacchaeus, he returns 400% of what he had stolen from people. But when zealous disciples want to use violence to defend their Lord, Jesus disarms them and says, stop, whoever takes up the sword will be struck down by the sword. The ground of our unity, it can't be just oneness or diversity. And in fact, we have something so much better than either of those two on their own. We have Jesus who calls a diverse people to be one in him. That's the heart of biblical unity. Those who are called by King Jesus, leaving behind attitudes, actions, desires, and ideas that draw us away from him so that together, as brothers and sisters, we can love, pursue, and follow him. How good and pleasant that would be. But what makes it so good? Let's unpack these pictures that King David gives us. First off, Aaron's oily beard. Uh, I won't lie, I'm still kind of new to this whole preaching thing, and so part of the reason that I asked Kevin if I could preach this psalm was because it had a really easy built-in sermon illustration. I mean, Aaron's beard, Aaron's beard. But um, I'm actually, I'm just kidding, because the primary point of comparison for David here is not Aaron or his beard, it's the oil. It's the oil that both are anointed with. But how is oil like unity? That is an interesting comparison. Take a look back at verse 2 in our passage. He says, it's like the precious oil running down the beard. Some other translations say the good oil or the costly oil. In Exodus 30, we see the recipe for this precious priestly oil. It's got myrrh in it. You might recognize that from Christmas time. Uh, two kinds of cinnamon, a bunch of spices, olive oil, and then it's blended together by the local professional perfumer. It's, it's not just something that you can throw together in your house. You have to take it. It has to be produced by a professional. So it's indeed costly oil. Um, Exodus also tells us that everything in the tabernacle, that's kind of like a, a mobile temple that you can take down and put back up later on when you're camping somewhere else. Um, everything in the tabernacle had to be anointed with this oil, even the priests, so that everything could be made holy, which is just the Bible's way of saying being specifically designated for the task of representing God to his people. Did you catch that last part? Unity is like the precious oil because when it flows over us, when our unity is strong and rich and fragrant, it shows that we are set apart for the task of showing the world who Jesus is. Our unity as a church, a local church, but also as a larger church, 
has a distinct missional purpose in our city and our world. Think about it. It's easy to look around the city and see division, even among people who have a lot in common. Every week, people gather with us who might not be members of our church or sometimes people who might not be Christians at all. And that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad everyone's, everyone who's here is here today. Uh, and one thing I hope that is seen in our church every week is people who, even though they don't look similar or they're not in the same stage of life or maybe they have different opinions on some things, they worship and they laugh and they pray together and they genuinely love one another. Because, and that, I, I hope it's confusing. That should be a striking kind of thing. And when we notice that someone's confused or struck by that, it gives us the chance to say, hey, all of us are only here because Jesus has saved us and he's making us more and more like him every day. We're leaving behind our sins and we're pursuing him. And as we pursue him, we become closer to one another. Behold, how good and pleasant it is. So, similar to the oily beard metaphor, we have to make sure that the dew on the mountains metaphor doesn't start with the mountains themselves. It's the dew that's King David's focus here. And most of us, if you're like me at least, we probably take dew for granted. Um, it's, you know, one of those awesome, amazing Saturday mornings where I don't have anything to do that I would love to, like, sleep in until the dew goes away. Uh, those are rare, but I would like to rest until the dew's gone. The only time I really think about dew is when I have to take out the compost before I go to work and I have to walk through the grass and I haven't mowed in a while because it rains all the time and I get dew all over my shoes and pants. Uh, really, it just is a little bit irritating. But let's use, let's use our sanctified imaginations for a minute and put ourselves in the sandals of an ancient Israelite. Summers are hot and they're dry in the area around Jerusalem and Mount Zion. And whether you're King David or the guy who owns the vineyard next door, you probably wake up when the sun, when the sun rises. And on those hot days, when you go into the fields just after sunrise, there's this cool, fresh dew on the ground. And you don't know how it got there. It's just there. It's one of the many beautiful blessings that God has filled his creation with. Now, think about unity. We've already kind of talked a little bit about the mysteriousness of unity. Apart from Jesus saving us and making us family, there's no reasonable explanation for it. But when we experience it, it's refreshing like cold dew on a sunny summer morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but the last year and a half has really been anything but invigorating. Am I right? We've had to remain physically separated from one another. Quite literally, we've been disunified as we've been apart from one another. And this is how the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon talks about the refreshing dew and unity we experience. He says this, 
To this dew, the poet likens brotherly love, such pristine freshness, and thus refreshing. When brethren bound together in love meet in one place, it is as when the dew of Mount Hermon descends upon the bare, unfruitful mountains round about Zion. In Jerusalem must love and all that is good meet. After we moved back inside, or after we moved outside from our winter weekly gatherings, I felt that. I think we all felt that. And then after we moved back in here from our outdoor gatherings, I felt that again. And I can only imagine that next week with one gathering, our whole church family in here together, uh, I bet we'll feel that even again. So David says, unity is like the dew that falls from Mount Hermon to Mount Zion. And you know what? Mount Zion is where God will bring eternal life. When we experience the refreshing unity that God gives us, that's more than something we can conjure up on our own here and now. It's a foretaste of the renewed world that God will bring one day. Until then, inviting others into our community to be confused yet filled with hope is part of our mission. Our unity is a refreshing foretaste of new creation, filling us with hope to share with others. Karsh Church, uh, I've got one more thing before we start to wrap up. So if you kind of tuned out for the weird stuff, the oily beard, the dewy mountain, that's okay. Uh, But come back for the home stretch. We've covered a lot. (laughs) Biblical unity is leaving behind attitudes, actions, and desires that lead us away from Jesus while together loving and pursuing him. And we've unpacked these metaphors that show us that unity is costly. It makes us holy. It's refreshing, and it gives us hope and a mission. But I think the question still remains, how do we have this kind of unity? And to my brothers and sisters who are here, and to those of you who aren't yet my brothers and sisters, I wanna share that our unity with one another should point us back to a greater unity which precedes it, and that is union with Christ. The only reason we're able to have deep, rich community with each other is because we were first unified with Jesus. What does that even mean, though? Um, Let me illustrate. My wife, Caitlin, and I went to Soul Taco downtown several weeks ago. Uh, It's delicious. And right now, because of the pandemic, they're only, you know, accepting cards to pay. Um, And we have this card. It's not particularly special. Um, It doesn't have like unlimited spending or, you know, amazing rewards or whatever. It's a pretty normal card, but it's one of those cards that's made out of metal, uh, and so it's heavier than your normal plastic card. Um, And so I hand the card to the kid behind the counter, and as soon as he, he feels it, like he drops into his hand and his hand goes like this. Not quite. But he says, whoa, what do I got to do to get a card like this? And all I told him was, you got to marry a girl with a good credit score. (laughs) Because when you're unified with someone, 
Everything you bring to the table is now shared. It belongs to both of you. Or like in Acts 2, where the early Christians who are bonded to one another, they're unified with one another in Christ, they look at their brothers and sisters in need, and they look at their possessions, and they go, well, yeah, of course. Here, what do you need? Like, there's no lacking among them because they realize, hey, if we're one, then this is yours too. We share everything. Uh, We're united. And this is how it works when we're united to Jesus. Everything we have with us, we bring to that union. Our sin, our guilt, our shame, our arrogance, and our anger, everything. But then we see everything that he brings. His perfection, his death on the cross, his resurrection life. And not only does that become ours, but everything that he brought, it destroys all the terrible things that we brought. When we pledge our allegiance to Jesus as our king, when we put our trust in him, we become united to him. And that unity, and that unity alone, is the ground for so many other things. Um, We've been in a sermon series on Galatians. We've been hearing Paul use these words like justification and sanctification and adoption, these rich theological terms. And all those things, plus the unity that we experience as a family, are derived from our shared unity with Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. That is the gospel. That's good news right there. Amen? I wanna, I wanna wrap up with one more observation from our passage this morning. Uh, look at the language in these two analogies, verses two and three. The precious oil runs down the beard. It runs down onto the collar. The dew falls down on Mount Zion. My friends, behind these three phrases is the same word repeating three times, descending. The oil, the dew, they're descending. And remember, remember where this psalm is placed. It's a psalm of ascent. But when we reach the end of our playlist, um, when the pilgrims are done with their feasts, they don't remain where they traveled to. They have to go home. They have to descend the steps of the temple. They have to descend the slopes of Mount Zion. They have to return to those areas of violence and strife. And we don't get to stay in this auditorium forever. We have to descend the steps of the main entrance or the ramp at the south entrance. We have to return back to those places of strife that God has placed us in. Maybe it's our jobs or our classrooms or our social media feeds or even our homes. But we don't descend back the same as when we ascended. We descend united to Jesus. And so too with our brothers and sisters bringing a loving, missional, Jesus-focused unity. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. We thank you for just this 
refreshing morning that you've blessed us with, a new day that we could worship you, that we could hear from you. Um, God, I thank you for the unity that we experience in your son. It's a gift that only descends from you. And it's only by your grace that we can be saved, that we can know you, that we can have unity with our brothers and sisters. God, would you guide the rest of our worship this morning? Um, Would we worship you in spirit and in truth, in one spirit? God, when we leave this place today, would we take our unity with us, showing to the world around us how good and pleasant it is to dwell together with you? Would they see that? Would they long to experience it? Would they begin to follow King Jesus alongside of us? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, one thing that we do every 